0: You are listening to The Interactome, a podcast by a group of young researchers who want to connect you to the world of science by sharing their stories and perspectives. Just in case their bosses are listening, they want to remind you that the opinions expressed here are their own. They also want to remind you not to take anything they say as medical or professional advice, as they are not doctors. Not yet, anyway. Stay tuned about that. And, without further ado, welcome. The interactome.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the interactome. I'm Joe.
2: I'm Lauren.
1: And I'm Pickle. And we're tonight. We're having another episode of science stories. Um, yeah. Last- woo! Yeah, last time, uh, we were, none of us were on the last Science Stories episode, but we all thought it was kind of exciting and fun, and we wanted to share uh, some interesting stories related to science that we've heard or experienced with you. Um, so I guess, uh, I don't know, how, how do we want to start this off? Uh, who, who, who's, who's hyped to share their story with our listeners first?
2: Yeah, I can start. I have um, actually a two-for-one, some might oh, say. Boy. Um, it's a little science story and a documentary recommendation. Um, so I'm going to be talking about this documentary that I watched recently and the science, little cute little science story to do with it. So it's titled Explorer the Lost Tipui, uh, with Alex Honnold. So any of the listeners who know about Alex Honnold will know that he's a, an amazing climber, um. You should also watch Free Solo. Watch Free Solo first and then see how, how amazing Alex Arnold is. And um, how he just, uh, he has no no fear. I mean, he handles his fear really well. But this is not about him. This is about um, this climbing team. So the, there was this like world-class climbing team led by this guy named Mark Sinnott. Um mm-hmm. And basically, they go deep into the Amazon jungle to do this first ascent. So, Never, never before being climbed like raw cliff face up a 1000 foot sheer cliff face to deliver a biologist to the top of the cliff. Um, Yeah, (laughs) an 80 year old biologist. And so this guy's name uh, is Bruce Means. And he has been, um, he lives in Florida. And so he does a lot of his um, ecology research out in Florida. But also, um, he is fascinated with the Amazon rainforest for good reason. Um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about these tipuies. Um, I'm going to have to like send, I'm going to have to put a picture of these in uh, the description notes or something because they're just really, I don't know. Amazing! I've never seen anything like this. So they are in the Guyana Highlands, which is um, an area in the Amazon rainforest, and there's about a hundred of these tepuis, which are like one thousand to three thousand foot high, essentially just rock faces, um, and they formed over time as the land has ha, as the land rose, so like over billions of years, um, and then rainwater water a wore away most of it um and now it leaves behind like these islands in the sky and essentially the flora and fauna on these islands is isolated so similar to like the galapagos where we have really unique rich biodiversity this is an isolated ecological system so pretty cool um no one's been up there um onto these cliffs like biologists such as this bruce means uh biologists have been um able to go to the top like via helicopter but no one's been able to like get onto the cliff faces for obvious reasons <laughs> you wow. can imagine so this whole documentary is uh the team trekking through like deep thick uh amazonian rainforest um they're like knee deep in mud they're like scrambling over these um like tree roots Um, And this 80-year-old man is, like, slipping and falling. And they're like, how are we going to get him to this cliff face? Like, it was crazy. So I don't want to ruin it. Um, (laughs) But what I do want to talk about is the pretty cool biology that um, is involved in uh, an expedition like this. So this man, Bruce Means, has devoted his life to... um, characterizing new uh, species so he's obsessed with um, snakes and frogs and things that like I'm not obsessed with but (laughs) I'm sure they're important (laughs) like um, they're definitely important and so the whole goal of this entire expedition is for them to uh, discover unknown species and they do so the manuscript so he's writing like a scientific manuscript currently is in writing so the photographs they took of the new species they haven't released because he has to like classify them and it's going to take years and years and years to do like DNA testing and he does um, breeding experiments to make sure that it's a, a different species to anything that's being classified before um but yeah mm. it was pretty amazing to watch and you know this is all like this man and many other ecologists and biologists that da- devote their years work their life's work to um really helping us understand the biodiversity of uh places such as the amazon rainforest and it just was really heartwarming and it's a nice reminder that like we live on this planet shared with you know amazing nature and i think we should all think about our activities and our actions and how they might affect the little frogs and snakes <laughs> and birds and things that are uh just living their lives in the wild amazon rainforest and um We're destroying their habitat. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to share that. um, I really enjoyed watching that and just thinking about um, this cool stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I got to say like that, like this whole sphere, like kind of like ecology, like more like zoology, like actual like biology of like different species. Like this whole area is really like I'm a molecular biologist, and so this is very, very forward to me, but, like, super exciting, and I really have immense appreciation for people who, like, go out into the world and, like, explore new places and are like, wow, we found this cool new frog. Um, I remember, uh, speaking of cool new frogs, Lauren, I think you, uh, it was either you or Sarah who brought up the different species of frogs.
2: Yeah, Um, that was
1: Sarah. Oh, the way back in like uh, our what what's all what's in a name episode? I think it was episode three with the the different frog species, uh, like minimum minuscule and mini something else, and I can't. Remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not
2: only do you get to discover new species, but you get to name them really cool names. So yeah, yeah. If anyone's listening is interested, they should check out that episode because um, Sarah had some funny names um, that she found. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I um, also, similar to Joe, I'm not a biologist uh, that studies flora and fauna, but I have great respect for um, people who do because it helps us, you know, really understand the biodiversity that exists um, so that we like have evidence for conservation efforts and also a lot of um, like historically, a lot of medicine and dyes and like all sorts of things that we take for granted in our everyday life come from the natural world and come from species that were discovered from biologists who do work like this so it was a good, cool reminder to appreciate uh, a field that's very different to my own
1: in another life i will be a zoologist
2: yeah in another <laughs> life i'm a marine biologist i was oh, same,
1: oh really um, very yeah. cool i um i uh used to be obsessed with a guy named Jacques Cousteau um he was a uh i think he was like the inventor of the scuba equipment or something like that uh. <laughs> he was a, he, he was a french uh french like explorer person i mean i honestly don't know remember too much about him anymore but i would like scream this song about him by like this guy by john denver like at the top of my lungs when i was in um when i was in like first grade like i was i was obsessed with him i wanted to see all the fish but yeah did you ever go scuba diving no that's kind of like on my bucket list i mean i'm I'm, I'm kind of scared but like excited i love it really can yeah, you teach me I
2: my scuba license no i can't teach you joe that's oh. not safe <laughs> you need to be taught by a qualified instructor <laughs> mm-hmm. i've not been for a while but i love it. it is a very scary in the beginning i will admit um mm-hmm. it's like scary in terms of like lack of control because mm-hmm. really you're at one with the ocean and you or breathing out of an oxygen tank and you can't just swim to the surface, especially if you're deep down. So yeah. Yeah. It's, That's it's a sick. good exercise in uh, learning to keep yourself calm, I would say.
0: Yeah. And one comment I have from that is, and it kind of, follows a similar vein from our previous episode with astrophysics but studying science outside of a lab i know a lot of science happens in the lab so being able to go out into the field into the world Mm -hmm. and see it in person that's a whole different area beyond anything i really know so that's really cool oh one one cool thing to
1: mention to our listeners is uh like this was a thing that i had to do like for a class in freshman year of college they required us to get download an app on our phones and like go out into the woods and like take pictures of plants and identify the plants, like you could do that, and like there there are these fancy apps or like different apps where you can like participate in like different experiments that people are trying to yeah. run they could go like sit, they call them like citizen science yeah, programs. there was actually
2: a big initiative at my undergrad because my undergrad um were really focused on environmental science that was one of the big um mm. Areas and there was a huge initiative there um, that was citizen science driven, and that was to do with collecting data along the um, Chesapeake Bay, so on the East Coast. Yeah, cool. C- citizen science is cool. And if you're not a scientist by training, it's a really fun and meaningful way to get involved. Um, it really contributes hugely to uh data collection and can make a big change. So anyone interested, check it out.
1: Yeah, it kinda it kinda reminds me of uh Pickle. I think you may remember this, the folding at home thing that we did a while yeah. back. I mean, I, I think that's a little different in that like you're kind of just letting like other people use your computer to I, I mean you, you can probably explain this better than me, but my understanding is that like you use um, you allow other people to use your hardware to run simulations of like molecular interactions and things like that um, yeah
0: and i really got involved with that during um the early stages of covid as i know you did too joe yeah uh, as a little bit of a background i won't spend too much time on this but we did start um a folding at home team and we set up a website and everything it was really cool but yeah to joe's point you can take like if you haven't done folding at home you basically get these simulations that you run um from the whoever client you set up for for whatever you can do cancer you can do covid whatever you want from a list of things and you basically run these simulations and send the data back to scientists so that they don't have to use just their resources they can use you can can borrow yours you just set your you know you're going to go to sleep for the night you can just like leave your computer on download a simulation and send it back it's a really cool way to kind of help out yeah without really even having to know much or do much that's really Mm.
2: cool how so i have a question about that i know this is a divergence but i have a question about that how like do they have to check that you did it right or is it like they give you the code they give you everything you just copy it into your computer or your uh system?
0: Yeah, so it's it's like a set of instructions basically that you're either you can use just your computer's CPU central processing unit or mm-hmm. you can also throw in your graphical processing unit if you have one into the mix too. And basically all the instructions are there for the machine. You really don't have to do anything other than press play. And your hardware just goes, executes all the instructions, runs the simulation, and the data obtained from that gets sent back. There's ways to check. I know um, there were a couple times where my, my hardware was unstable because I was messing around with it, as I do. But <laughs> um, it, it was able to detect that my hardware wasn't stable and that the result I was going to send back was bad. So <laughs> it would scrap it and start over. Oh. Yeah. So it has built-in protections into it. Yeah,
1: Very impressive. And- one of the really cool, like, I, there are a bunch of publications that have come out of this work, um, and so a recent one, if I remember correctly, was trying to and trying to uh, simulate different um, proteins from the coronavirus, so SARS-CoV-2, um, and see if they're, like, if you could model, like, different coronavirus proteins and how they kind of, like, jiggle and wiggle around in, like, in water, um, like, can you find, like, special little pockets where you can stick a drug and shut off the protein or things like that. And so mm-hmm. the, that's, that's what the simulation is doing. It's literally just like a, uh, you're trying to model a protein as it jiggles and wiggles around in three d space. And mm-hmm. so, um, that requires a lot. And that's why they need a lot of hardware to do it. And a uh, word of warning, um, I, I, made a dumb mistake and tried to run simulations like almost like 24, seven on a uh, laptop that I had, um, and it was really, it did was not equipped for this kind of thing. Uh, it didn't really have the, um, the, 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 the cooling processing power. I think like it had some su- sufficient processing power to help, but I think it just couldn't handle being run li- like this intensely for so long. So just make sure you have good hardware for this that can be cooled down because otherwise you're going to get a kind of, kind of fried motherboard like I did. Um, And Mm -hmm. you're going to have to get a new laptop. And so that was a dumb thing on my part. But um, hey, science is like 90% failure. So um, yeah, and uh, my wallet is crying. But um, yeah, so that's that.
2: Yeah, Um, well, (laughs) hopefully um, that is a sign that you should maybe stick to bench work <laughs> uh, Ooh, uh maybe and maybe this is a good segue though, because I know yeah, you yeah, wanted yeah. to talk about some uh science that's been done at the bench um in the lab, so we can kind of transition from the lab being uh from nature's lab to uh the lab 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 lab, yeah, well, <laughs> For lack the, of better you... words <laughs> lab, lab
1: yeah, so um this uh I'll kind of like share kind of like the some of like kind of an anecdote behind this, like a more part like a more personal one, and then kind of go into like the lab, like more lab stuff. Um, so, this is a story that uh, a lot of people here at the University of Pennsylvania know about, um, and we've learned about it quite a bit in my medical school training. Uh, I'm, I'm for context, I'm in the second semester of my first year. Um, but we're learning a lot about like molecular biology and the immune system and a bunch of other things, um, and so the story the story goes like this. Uh, basically, there was a um, a family, the Whitehead family, and they they had a, a daughter named Emily, and Emily had been diagnosed with a kind of leukemia, and leukemia is basically. Um, when um your your uh when you actually produce way 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 too many of a specific kind of immune system cell, um in this case, um and Lauren's Lauren knows more about this than I do, Um uh, so feel free to jump in and correct me at any time, Lauren. Yeah, leukemia
2: is um, my jam.
1: Yeah. Um. um. So it um in this case, um poor Emily just she was producing tons and tons of one single kind of immune cell, in this case, a specific B cell. Um, and it it was just starting to go all over her body um, and lead to kind of basically suppressing other immune system cells. And it, if untreated, could lead to her um, unfortunate demise. And so um, doctors had tried tons of treatment for it um and it just the cancer just th- this is a kind of cancer um it was not responding um to any of the treatments and so as a, a last-ditch effort um her parents reached out to a guy named uh dr stefan Grupp here at penn um he's a pediatric oncologist and he um he was he was like talked to them heard about their story and essentially um said hey Um, We're starting a phase one clinical trial. Like, so phase one, um, we've talked about this a little bit before, but um, the goal of a phase one trial for any kind of treatment is to look at uh, generally just toxicity. Um, Like, is it, um, is it, and is it safe? Um, But yeah. Um,
2: Yeah. Where should I go
1: with this? Oh, Lauren, I think you have a correction for me.
2: Oh, that. I was just gonna talk about leukemia a little bit. Um, yeah, go for it. So leukemia are um actually cancer. Leukemia is actually cancer of the blood. Um, so cells that start in our bone marrow um that are kind of primed to become blood cells, so they can become red blood cells or white blood cells um and something goes awry in the programming and this causes them to divide into much faster growing so if you were talking about all right acute lymphoblastic leukemia. yeah it's all
1: in this case yeah
2: so the acute stands for uh fast growing and uh lymphoblast lymphocytic sorry not lymphoblastic um well you can use i think the 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 words are actually used interchangeably um and so lymphocytic means it develops from early or immature forms of lymphocytes which are a type of white blood cell so it's actually when you're making your blood cells and the process goes awry which is quite frightening because then um as you can imagine your blood is going throughout your body right it's um a liquid what we call a liquid cancer um so that is one of the reasons why it can be um, have a really poor prognosis.
1: Yeah. And and just to add a little bit, the uh, your white blood cells uh, are off, many, many kinds of white blood cells are important players in, the, in your immune system. Um, and so um, with all of this happening in her in, in poor Emily's body at the time, um, her family reached out to Stefan Grupp and he said, hey, Um, we're starting a phase one trial for this, um, new kind of cancer treatment. Um, and this kind of cancer treatment, they call it a chimeric antigen receptor T cell. Um, and so T cells, um, are kind of like, they're, they're, they're white blood cells that kind of look around your body and survey to make sure all the cells are kind of functioning as normal um and or specifically killer t cells or cytotoxic t cells do this and they look to see if um everything's all your cells are just have the normal proteins and that they should and if they do um the the killer t cells say okay fine i'm i'm off i'm leaving but if you, something's something's wrong and you have your this the cell in question that they're looking at has like a weird mutated protein or things like that sometimes they can literally just, like, kill that cell. Um, so they, they literally, like, release, like, a bunch of toxic things at the cell and make it, like, explode. Um, hence, killer T cells. And so uh, the idea that a bunch of people had was, like, what if we can take these T cells and trick them into targeting exactly what we want them to? And so over many, many years, um, many, many different kinds of people, like, worked together to develop um, a chimeric antigen receptor, a spe- special protein that you could basically um, have on the outside of these T-cells, and it would stick to your protein that you wanted it to stick to. And when it did that, the T-cell would say, oh my gosh, something's wrong here, and kill that, uh, the cell in question. Um, and so there, there was a lot of work done to make sure you have like, the right um, chimeric antigen receptor in this case. And so um, the specific chimeric, chimeric antigen receptor that they were using here um, was one that targets—actually, uh, uh, we we're, were talking about T-cells, but this uh, T-cell that we specially engineer would target B-cells, um, another kind of white blood cell in the body. And specifically, this is the kind of white blood cell that um, Emily had way, way too much of. That was kind of like growing out of control. They were immature B-cells that were just like completely unchecked. And so if we could take these specially modified T-cells and put them in her body, um, in theory, they could go and take take down these uh, out-of-control B-cells. And so um, that's what they, they did. And so they drew some of Emily's blood. And did a special process to separate her T cells from all her other blood cells, like the red blood cells, her B cells, her can like her cancer's B cells, um, and other things. Um, and then they gave special treat- treatments to these T cells to make them grow a lot. And so you got a lot, a lot of T cells. And then what they did was they took a special virus um, that can only infect one cell. Like I we've talked about viruses before that can infect. Like just they affect one cell and make tons of copies of themselves and go on and on, um, but in this case the virus can only infect one cell and then it's done. And so in this case the virus has um, the the DNA for this anti chimeric antigen receptor. And so it, by by treating the T cells with this virus um, in the lab, um, they they basically popped this uh, the code for this special like modified protein inside the T cells. And so now the T cells were um, they like, they're, they're ready to go because now they're producing this uh, chimeric antigen receptor on the outside of themselves. And so they can use that as a little tool to go and check and see where their target is. And so they then took these cells um, and after doing some special treatments to um, actually, they they did a lot of chemotherapy treatments to, actually deplete um a lot of her um or reduce the strength of her immune system and deplete a lot of white blood cells um init- initially before they added this in um but once they did that they uh injected i believe they injected these um these these specially modified t cells um into her bloodstream and let them do their work and this was the first time that this had been done in a in a A pediatric patient a child at six years old um in order to treat this kind of cancer and um I mean obviously because of that everyone was super super like cautious and they were trying to make sure like everything was okay and while she was in the hospital like a few like shortly after um she actually got really really sick um and they didn't know what was going on um and so um everyone um like on the her care team was trying to figure out like different high levels of proteins that she might have or changes, biological changes that she might have. And they saw that she had really, really high levels of these proteins called interleukins, specifically interleukin six. Um, and interleukin um, proteins are basically like messengers um, that help immune cells and, and other kinds of cells communicate with the immune system to coordinate immune and inflammatory processes. And so um, she had way too much of this, this specific one. And it was leading to like low blood pressure, um, changes in heart rate, like difficulty breathing. And um, like, it, 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 it could have been really, really bad. And so um, her, her, her clinical team was trying to figure out what to do. And so they called up um, a, a guy named Carl June and who works here at Penn as well. He was, he was involved in the team, like in the science behind her treatment. And he said, well, I actually have, um, some people in my family who are on this special treatment for, um, I think it's, um, it might be, give give me a hot second here. Um, I think it's, um, yeah, it's for arthritis. Um, it's an arthritis treatment. It's actually an antibody that binds to this um, specific interleukin and get, gets rid of it. Um, and so they treated her with that. And so, since it was already approved for arthritis, um, it seemed like it was safe, um, potentially. They decided that it was worth the risk to try it in her and reduce her chance of her condition worsening. And remarkably, once they treated her with that, she reco- She her she her condition improved drastically. And, um, now, uh, she, she's, she hasn't had any sign of cancer since. And obviously it wasn't an easy road. Um, but, um, these specific engineered T cells still are hanging out in her body. Like at least last time they checked and they they're making sure that, um, since they were originally her own T cells, um, her immune system and her whole body like welcomes them and uses them as normal um and they're they're just hanging out to make sure that no cancer ever comes back yeah. um but the the big thing is she's cancer free like uh as of last year, she was looking at colleges I mean, and uh I think she she wants to be either um a environmental scientist or Ooh. do some work in film, cool. and so it was this really really cool story of like how many, many, many years of researching, um, immunology and cell biology and stuff like that helped to co- basically completely cure. Um, it, at least in theory, um, I like, God forbid the cancer ever comes back, but most people don't think it will. Um, yeah, yeah but like in, in theory, like you've cured, cured this cancer yeah. and it's, it's just really cool. And they had to have an understanding of all the molecular biology going on there, like with all the interleukins and all the T cell, B cell interactions in order to actually get this to work. Um,
2: yeah, cause a otherwise... lot of work went into that. Um, but so worth it, right? Um, if one person um, is cured of uh, cancer. Actually, um, something that, Uh, that reminded me of is something I learned in a tumor immunology class is that our the theory is that actually our immune system and cancer cells are in kind of this um equilibrium with each other um whereby our immune system is doing its business um searching for anything that shouldn't be there and that includes cancer cells and clearing them out um but at some point, whether it's because the cancer cells undergo, um, uh, undergo like genetic mutations, or they have an insult to them that causes them to adapt and become faster growing or more aggressive, they'll then outgrow the immune system's ability to kind of get rid of them. Um uh, yeah. and so that is one of the reasons why that is one of the explanations for how, um, people relapse within, you know, some people relapse 5 years later after treatment, some people relapse 10 years later, some people even 15 to 20 years. Um and so this is one of the theories behind that. So I wonder in her case if, you know, she has some of these um uh cancer cells arising but the car t cells are there in place and are clearing it before it's detectable um by our yeah. standards. So pretty amazing. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, it's Sounds definitely cool. quite possible, and I mean, maybe maybe someone's done the experiment. We, we yeah, I think the thing it.
2: is that it's like at a level that's not detectable. That's the um...
1: oh oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. just for context for our listeners, like oftentimes, like immune cells, like will like you might have a lot when you have, of a specific kind when you have like an infection, but afterwards, like they 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 go away. You're only left with like a very small amount that can then, like, grow back and, like, do their thing again. Um, and so that's, correct me if I'm wrong, that's what you're referencing. Yeah, you have memory cells. But they're, they're, they're hard to detect because um, there are just so few of them in your body usually. Um, one thing, though, uh, an important caveat is that they're in this trial, like, um, there were other people who did, um, who were involved as well, and many people had the same experience as Emily, Some people, though, didn't do as well on the same treatment. And so there is variation and not every, it's not a total cure for everyone. Um, Like some people did relapse within the time that they were studying everyone. Um, But it was a drastic improvement compared to what has been done before. Mm. Um, And it's certainly a great starting point for more to come, uh, which is what's really exciting about science. There's always
0: room for improvement. I was gonna say, like, what a feel good story, especially when you're like performing tests on such a small, like, young patient, like pediatrics. That doesn't happen very much, yeah. right? Yeah,
1: it's, um, it's. I think uh, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't know the uh, rate at which these kinds of things happen. But I, just because I'm not in that sphere right now, um, but I mean, a feel good story like that, I think, is rarer than one might like. Um, yeah so yeah thanks uh, Joe that
2: was really uh, uh, really good to hear Um, and I love um, the field of tumor immunology and CAR T cells are an amazing technology so thank you for uh, giving me that and the listeners and pickle that heartwarming story (laughs) one good story after another and now to finish us off, we have Pickle who is coming in out of left field talking about. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, <laughs> when I say hard drives, does everyone get really excited? Does it really Woo! get you get you go right see, thank you. I knew Joe would be there for me. <laughs> hey, hey, so, hard drives are so important. Like <laughs> they they are. And so a lot of my stories have to do with um, like I was saying to to these folks before the show, um, It's like Mythbusters, computer science. Failure is always an option. And you Mm -hmm. learn a lot from that failure. You you, you have to. Otherwise, it's going to be a long, difficult, frustrating road. And so my story today is about one of those really frustrating moments where back in college, I had a MacBook. And a lot of the stuff that we learned was using Windows software. Mm. And as a Mac user, it was a lot of the time, oh, go figure it out. And so that was good in some ways. It helped me learn, um, kind of figure things out a different way, carve my own path. But at some point, it's just not really conducive. It's a little bit more uh, worth your time to kind of be working in step with them. And so uh, some people may not know this, but macOS does or at least did at the time offer a way to do what they call dual booting your computer, which meant you could run two operating systems on it you could have your main Mac operating software and then on the same drive you could also have windows oh wow but wait yeah it's it's kind of a cool little feature that they don't really advertise and talk about Wait is, I can see why is that' still a thing like So the reason I say I don't know is I know that Apple's undergone a big change in their hardware. They used to use Intel CPUs, and now they use uh, their own proprietary um, silicon. Uh, Right now, I think it's M2. They call their system on a chip. (laughs) But um, since Windows doesn't... I actually have to walk that back because I think Windows does there's a version of Windows that operates for ARM, which is the underlying technology for the Apple chip. Mm -hmm. It's just not as ubiquitous as X64, which is at the time my MacBook had an Intel chip in it. And since most Windows machine, well, I shouldn't say most about a good a good chunk of them do um, Mm -hmm. either Intel or AMD, but they're all X64 based or X86. Sorry, 64 bit X86. But uh, anyway, that's kind of a nuance. Um, I think I, whether or not they can do it at the t- uh, today at the time it was absolutely an option it was something that I wanted to capital- capitalize on as mm-hmm. soon as I found out about it but you have to do what's called partitioning your hard drive and if you're going to just use there's a there's a tool that Mac OS has built into it that you can use it makes it really easy but being a computer science student and kind of like Icarus flying too close to the sun <laughs> oh, no. All. oh no oh <laughs> no I wanted it all. I wanted to have not only Mac and Windows, but I wanted to put Ubuntu on there too, a ah! Linux distro. <laughs> Why not? So macOS makes it pretty easy and it's actually kind of scary how much they open it up to the user. They really uh let you do what you want with it. And I was able to section off my hard drive into pieces. So like 250 gigs, for argument's sake, for reserved for Mac OS, mm-hmm. another 100 for Windows, and then another 100 for Ubuntu. Um, and so while I was setting up these partitions, you know, anything other than Mac OS needs a little bit of massaging to work properly. So trying to set up um, Ubuntu after kind of clearing off this empty hard drive space for it, um, not everything worked. Like the backlight and the keyboard didn't work, for mm-hmm. example. But... The operating system was there. Um, And then I set aside space for Windows, and I went to try to install it outside of the way that Mac OS will guide you through. And it didn't quite work. There was space allocated for it, but it didn't have what was called a bootloader. Mm -hmm. So even if I tried to select that partition, it didn't know how to start correctly. So I figured, "Ah, well, you know, I made a mistake. I'll just start over again. And as I went back into Mac OS to clear these partitions out, oh no. I made the mistake... Oh, no. ...of wiping my Mac OS partition, which is fascinating to me that it even <laughs> let me do that because in Windows, you can't. Windows won't let you make a mistake like that. But Apple was like, yeah, I'm more than happy to let you do that. Surely you know what you're doing. Um, my only explanation... For how it even let me do that was, my guess is enough of the operating system was in RAM to let me continue using the computer, because as soon as I restarted it, it was gone. Wait,
1: wait. So you deleted the Mac operating system from within the Mac operating system?
0: I did. Wow. How does that even happen? You know the joke of deleting? (laughs) That's what I was saying. I couldn't believe it even happened, because I deleted something, and I... I was still able to click around, close windows, restart the computer, so I, I thought to myself, surely I didn't make a catastrophic mistake, like, wiping my main operating system. Lo and behold, I did.
2: Oh, no.
0: Because when I started it back up, I saw an icon I've never seen before. It was a big question mark instead of where the <laughs> oh Apple was supposed to be. Oh, my
2: gosh. So,
0: were you able so, to get
2: it back up? Like,
0: So, fortunately, I was able to save it. How? Um... <laughs> That's crazy. It was. It was. There's. was a lot of good luck. I fortunately had enough forethought to back up um my operating system with Apple's Time Machine, which is a really good piece of software. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of this, I was back up and running, at least on Mac OS, like I was a couple days ago. Um, and the way to recover it from this kind of unrecoverable state is there's a certain key combination. I think it's like the command shift R and something else. And it'll bring you into this special menu. And I'm sure this is saved off on a segregated chip inside the, um, inside the laptop itself, Mm -hmm. whether it's like EEPROM or something like that. Um, But I was able to connect to the internet in this very basic shell of an operating system and go through the recovery process of downloading macOS again. Mm-hmm. So macOS was able to be pulled from the internet and and the whole hard drive was wiped and set up as an Apple operating system, which was fine. And uh I was able to pull my my backup off of the hard drive with Time Machine, get it back up and running. But um I can I, I recall the event, it was I don't remember the year. It was probably 2018, but it was the Super Bowl weekend. So while everyone else was out Super Bowl parties, watching the Super Bowl, having fun, I was panicking whether or not I was going to get my assignments in the following day oh my God. because I couldn't use my computer. So mm-hmm. um, fortunately, it was all recovered. I was able to kind of continue where I left off. Um, it probably shaved a couple of years off of my life, but that's okay because we were able to continue. Honestly, and, also, at um, least
2: you're in like a computer science program because if you'd be in any other program and you're like, yeah, so I am um, wiped my Mac OS off my drive. So my, it'd be like, as if, like, that's the worst right. excuse. That sounds as bad as like my dog ate my homework. It's like the digital yeah, exactly. equivalent. So
0: also, so uh, oh, sorry,
1: sorry.
0: I all, all I was going to say is, y- you have to remember that I brought this upon myself. I was the one who was not satisfied with one or two operating systems. I wanted them all. Wanted all the power. So wait,
1: what about Linux? wait? Is Ubuntu Linux based?
0: Or? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the cool thing about. Linux is that there's a bunch of different distros for it and ubuntu is just a really nice gooey easy one there are a lot of specialized ones Mm -hmm. and everyone has their favorite flavor of linux as they call it but ubuntu was a good way to get me up and and running and i think the kicker in all of this was um both linux and mac os are built on unix so that means at their core they have a lot of similarities and I could have done a lot of my computer science work in the mac OS terminal because it's unix based yeah anything that other people were doing in Linux, I could have done in that terminal without any other operating systems required yeah so but of course, I learned that way later and not at the time
1: i I just get this I did this image of like like a montage of you just like furiously like typing away and like and like the camera's like. <laughs> like zooming around you like 360 degrees as you're just like (laughs) like tapping with like dramatic music and then then it's like 12 hours later and they're like i'm finally done like
2: (laughs) that reminds me of like those characters um in shows that like everything always goes wrong for them and you're watching it and you're like no don't do it no no don't do it (laughs) you're like they did it they did it that's yeah, but... if anyone was watching you, they'd be like, um, no, don't do that. Wait, wait, no. no,
1: wait. But the real question is
0: can you now put all three uh operating systems on your same computer? I could stand up, I know where the hard drive is, it's right over there, <laughs> and it has all three on it. So, <laughs> if you wanted to see it, a 2012 MacBook Pro that runs three different operating systems, I have the hard drive. Amazing! So, so. Mission accomplished, technically. Right, failure is always an option. Yeah, we recovered, we moved on, we're smarter for it. So, so, what did you like? What did you do differently the second time in order to get to work? Like, well, I I didn't delete my operating system. That's a that's a first good and foremost. That's important. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, Yeah, I couldn't tell you the exact motions anymore because it's been a few years. Mm -hmm. But what I I had done was through the process of installing and reinstalling, I found the right combination of things to do. I think what it ended up being was to get Windows to work, start by doing the Mac tool to partition the hard drive in boot camp mode so that you can get Windows running. So you can get Mac OS and Windows running. Once those two are running, take your Mac partition. Don't delete it, but shrink it. (laughs) so that some of the unused space on that can be allocated for Linux because that bootloader cooperates a lot better with what Mac has out of the box. Mm. So following it in that order allowed me to have greater success. Of course, what I was trying to do isn't something people commonly do. So it's not like there was a guide or tutorial for me to really follow online, but um, like a lot of things in computer science, there's a lot of trial and error and, you know, I, I made my mistakes and I learned from it and I eventually got to where I needed to go. Um,
2: cool. Well, you made lesson. the mistake, so we don't have to. Not that honestly, yeah. I'm exactly. going to try that because I can barely run a line of code that's been given to me. Um, I wouldn't
0: recommend it. It's not really necessary, but it was fun.
1: <laughs> but it, it that's a, it's a really good story about the importance of persistence. Because um, I, I think it. I mean, it, I, I'm in a similar situation computationally as Lauren. Um, I know what strings are and like integers, but like that, that, that's really, really it. Yeah, we're um, working on it. Yeah, we're we're getting there. Um, but what one day I will be able to analyze my own sequencing data. That is the goal. Um, but like, I think that that really like I think that's something that can be extrapolated to any area of science in the sense that like you really sometimes you got to persist
2: yeah Um,
1: sometimes
2: totally failure failure is a part of the process right and yeah you learn the most when you make the mistake yourself because you never want to do it again and that is as true as it is when you're pulling apart your hard drive as it is when you're in the lab as i'm sure it is when you are collecting specimens and you like miss something or so I think it's, like, pretty broadly – I know it's broad across science and pretty applicable to, like, most things in life, so.
1: Yeah. Every, every scientist that you come across, like, no matter what field they're in, is going to have a story like that. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it's just a part of life when you're doing science. And I mean, like, failure is a part of life in general. Uh, and overcoming it and learning from it is also a part of life in general. Um, getting all – philosophical here yeah Um, but that's what we do so yeah
2: (laughs) so thanks so much to everyone for listening i hope that um you got something useful or interesting out of uh our science stories today and uh we hope you tune in for the next one
1: yeah uh what one thing before we go uh we just need to give a shameless plug for our social accounts um you can follow us on Twitter at the interactome or at in on uh at Instagram at interactome underscore media. Um, or you can also, if you're if you are so inclined, check us out at www. Www.interactome or media. dot org. Um, also, uh, we are available wherever you can listen to your podcasts, everywhere from Spotify to Apple Podcasts to audible which i actually just i I didn't realize we were on audible until recently um we're also on youtube um where we're wherever podcasts are uh not sold but listened to so uh, thank you for listening